God wanted, but in the moment they got excited, or they were drunk, or whatever else was going on, and they chose to deviate from what God wants. And I'm here to tell you that in every slight degree of deviation from God's word that we live, we are held accountable before God. And that's why we're under that death sentence. So when God says, love me with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself, in the ways that we don't do that, we are held to account for that. So, brothers and sisters, let's stay close to the book. God gives us a lot of information in the book of Leviticus. If you've ever read through it, you're familiar with the layers of details regarding worship and offerings, and how it specifically deals with the rituals related to them. It's a lot of information, but as Pastor Daniel will remind us today, he gave it to us for a reason. Not just for Aaron, the priest we'll hear about today, but for us. He tells us exactly what he wants us to do with our lives. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with part one of his message entitled, Special Fire. Remember where we ended last week? You're like, yeah, Leviticus chapter nine, Pastor Daniel. But God had given the children of Israel all of these instructions. Remember, at the end of the book of Exodus, it was about the tabernacle, this mobile worship tent, that as they moved around, they'd be able to construct this tent. They'd have all the different things they needed to worship. And then God told the priest, this is how I want you to dress. This is what I want you to wear. This is how I want it all constructed. And we had all these chapters of detail. This is how we're going to do it, right? And then you find out that Moses and the children of Israel do it exactly that way. God said, I want it this way. And they're like, okay, we're going to do it that way. And they did it. And then you get to the book of Leviticus and you start learning about all these different sacrifices. And you get one go through of the sacrifices and it's as it relates to the worshiper. This is the burnt offering. This is this offering. This is the grain offering. And then you go back through it again for the priests. For the priests who are involved in the offering of these offerings. This is what I want you to do. And then remember we had the time where the priests get consecrated. This whole consecration ceremony, the priests wait for a week, right? And then last week, we saw that the priestly ministry begins. Now, all of this preparation, all of these details, all of these things were done, and now it was time for the offerings to begin. The priestly ministry begins in Leviticus chapter 9. And remember what happened at the end of the chapter in verse 23 of Leviticus chapter 9. It says, And Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of meeting and came out and they blessed the people. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people and fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat on the altar. When all the people saw it, they shouted and they fell on their faces. So this ministry begins with a bang, literally. It's like, they start these offerings, and all of a sudden, fire comes out and consumes the offering. And the people are so beside themselves and blown away by the tangible presence of God that they shout, and then they fall on their faces like we are in the presence of God. 
We, we are not worthy to stand up on our feet. We're just going to submit ourselves to the Lord. You could imagine. Imagine if you're there at that point. Delivered from Egypt and all of a sudden you see l- the literal presence of God in fire consume these offerings. It would have been unbelievable. But what's fascinating is that the children of Israel, just like you and I, our moments of the most amazing triumphs can always seem to be the stage set for some of our greatest calamities. Anybody else have that experience? God used, does something amazing and we're like on top of the world and then boom, just like that, we do something knuckleheaded. And what is a great victory becomes a crushing issue. I remember my first memory of something like this was I remember growing up in and there was a basketball player named Len Bias, and Len Bias was drafted third in the draft by the Boston Celtics out of, I believe, Maryland. I, this is one of my first sports memories, and it was just this big thing, and then that night, what happened? He went to a party, and he overdosed on cocaine, and he died. So tragic, and I remember, as a, I must have been in my, like, maybe eight, nine years old, but I absolutely remember this, and I remember my father sitting down and saying, look, life's precious. I mean, this guy, he, he was the number three pick in the draft. Phenomenal opportunity and went out and overdosed on cocaine and that was the end of it, just like that. A, a, a moment of great joy for him and his family. I mean, you know, he's there. He's gonna take on the NBA and it's over just like that. We all have that tendency, don't we? And that's exactly what happens in Leviticus 10. Man, this should be something that takes off. Like, we have the sacrifices. God is happy. The people are there. And look at what happens. Leviticus chapter 10, verse 1. Then Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it, put incense on it, and offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. And Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke, saying, by those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified. So Aaron held his peace. Now, we don't have enough information to get all the way into the hearts and heads of these two sons of Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, or Nadab and Abihu, depending on how you like to syllabify it. For those of you who are interested, of course, Hebrew, the, in, in English, the syllable goes on the first syllable. In Hebrew, it actually goes on the last syllable. So we would say Nadab, because Ne is the, is the strong syllable, the first in English. But it would probably be more Nadab, because in Hebrew, it's on the second syllable, one of the differences between the languages. So for those of you who like that, you can go and sound out all the names in the Bible and put the syllable on the last one, and you'll impress your friends. But you got to think, these are the sons of Aaron. These are the two oldest sons of Aaron. So when Aaron is no longer the high priest, Nadab or Abihu, whoever was older, was going to become the next high priest. So these were the next in line. And so we don't know exactly what was in their heart. We could conject to certain different things. It could be that they were so overwhelmed with the presence of God that they thought, I need to get into the mix here. That they were just so, they got in the moment emotionally And they saw 
their father Aaron and their uncle Moses and God's presence and the people's response. They thought, we need to get in on the action. And so they went and they grabbed their, their, their censers. And they took some incense and then they gave an offering that the Lord didn't command. We'll find in a moment that the Lord's going to talk to Moses and Aaron and the priests about not being intoxicated with alcohol. Some people would say that the reason that Nadab and Abihu did this is because they were intoxicated. And so in a moment of drunkenness, they jumped on in. That's, it's, a plausible, it's a plausible way to look at it. It's hard to tell. We don't get all the information. But what we do know is that these two sons of Aaron, who had been given very specific instructions in the heat of the moment for whatever reason, strayed from what God wanted. And it had dire consequences for them. Now, I think for us, the elephant in the room is how, why would God kill them like that, right? A lot of people would say, why would I want to believe in a God who would kill these two young priests for doing something like taking incense and coals and offering it at a time he didn't prescribe? Now, that's a good question, but there's another way to look at that question. Because the Bible teaches that the wages of sin is death, when Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden, and God said, if you eat of that tree, you will surely die. And what's interesting is that when they ate of that tree, they did die, just not immediately. Maybe the question is not, why would God be so mean to kill them on the spot? Maybe it should be, why doesn't God, why is God so gracious that he lets us live when we live in radical rebellion and we're under a death sentence? It's amazing how when you take that thought and you look at it from a different perspective, you're like, oh yeah, that sounds horrible that God would do that. No, God told humanity that when you sin, that brings the curse of death. And what's amazing is that God doesn't take us out, all of us, this quickly. Because if sin, rebellion against God, is a death sentence, it's amazing that God is long-suffering and gracious to give us time to be here long enough to receive the grace of God so that when our time comes, we can be with him as, instead of being eternally separated from him. So I admit it, it's, it's graphic, but the fact is, is that we are all deserving of instantaneous death because of the rebellion that we live in. And that's all of us. That's not just like some of us. I'm not saying you guys. That's all of us. Death happens because of sin. Sin is rebellion against God, and we all do it. And so what is amazing is that God doesn't judge us instantaneously for the sins that we commit. I remember when I first came to know Jesus, I remember thinking to myself, man, the church may fall down on me if I enter the doors. And if, some of you have felt that way, right? You're like, man, if I go to church, you know, man, God's gonna strike me down. And what's amazing is, is that God doesn't strike us down. But when you see instances when God's judgment happens instantaneously, it's almost shocking because you and I are so used to God's long-suffering love. We're so used to God being patient. Like when you look in the book of Acts chapter 5 at Ananias and Sapphira, remember them? In, in the early church, people were so moved, not because the, 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 
apostles were saying, listen, you need to sell all your stuff and, and take care of each other. The Holy Spirit just filled them up and they were concerned for each other. And so people were just taking their land and they were selling it and they were bringing the money in so that people could be provided for. It was a God's grace in their midst. And then Ananias and Sapphira, they did the same thing. But instead of giving all the money, they kept part of it back, but they lied. They were being hypocritical. And they lied. They said, yeah, we gave all of it. And both Ananias and Sapphira died that day. It's interesting. Peter said, look, it's your land. You're allowed to do what you want with it. So they didn't die because they kept part of it back. They died because they lied. And we read that. We're like, whoa. But what's amazing is, is that God is so long-suffering that this doesn't happen to all of us. The fact that you're here, every single one of you, you here today, those of you watching online, maybe in 20 years if the Lord tarries, you're listening to this on whatever medium is going to be here in 20 years. 20 years ago, there was eight tracks. How many of you guys got those? You had them. You don't have many more, though, do you? I want one of those in my car just for fun, you know what I mean? Just for retro. But it's like, we, that was 20 years ago, man. We don't have those things anymore. Some of you don't even know what a cassette tape is. You know, so in 20 years, whatever, however you're listening to this, man, we're all on borrowed time because we live in rebellion against God. And praise God that he's given us one more moment, even this moment right now, to say, God, I want to be right with you because I realize I'm on borrowed time. And it's because of God's long-suffering love and his grace. But it's interesting that for the early church with Ananias and Sapphira and Acts chapter 5, we saw something similar on Mount Sinai. Do you remember that? After the law was given, it was this great time. But then Moses went up into the presence of God to get the, the Ten Commandments, those ten words on those two tablets of stone. And while he was tearing for 40 days, the people got bored. And they went to Aaron and said, oh, Aaron, you know, we don't know what happened to that guy Moses. Will you make us a, a golden calf to worship? And Aaron was like, okay. And then Moses came down, and the people were in the midst of revelry, worshiping this calf, and 3,000 people died that day. And God's judgment was instantaneous on those people. But we're not used to seeing that. So when we, when we see it here in Leviticus chapter 7, we think, why would God do that? But the better question is, why does God tarry? Why is God so patient with you and I when we are not deserving of that patience? No one can say, God, you should give me 20 years or 40 years or 80 years or 100 years. That's sheer grace that we have that time. And it's important for you and I that we make good use of that time. Not only to get right with God, but be a force for God's kingdom to come into this world to roll up our sleeves and serve self-sacrificially, to not live self-centered, self-focused lives, but to say, Lord, I'm going to live a God-centered life. And because I'm living a God-centered life, I'm going to care about other people. And I'm going to invest in other people. And I'm going to work for the betterment of humanity and God's glory. Because we're all on borrowed time. And as the old proverb says, when soon this life has passed, only what we've done for Christ will last. Now, don't think that that means that for you, husbands and wives, you love your spouse as unto the Lord, and you've done that as unto Christ. For those of you who are parents, you invest in your children because you've done it unto Jesus at your job, as we saw in the book of Ephesians. You don't do your job for your boss or for your paycheck. You do it as unto the Lord, and your boss 
gets the benefit and you get a paycheck, praise God. Your company pays you to be a missionary there. That's so cool. You don't even need to raise support, man. It's got to do a little paperwork. Man, we need to live our lives as unto Christ on the bar of time that he's given us. Now, I'm here to tell you, listen, when I say things like that, like many of you, I think to myself, man, I wasted a lot of time. For me, I wasted 24 years doing my own thing. And you can't, you can't go back and redo those years, but you don't want to let the mistakes of yesterday change what God, how, how God wants to use you today. We put yesterday in God's hands. We accept his grace and his forgiveness. We can't go back and redo the years we've squandered, but God's not even asking us. He's saying, look, today's the day. Now is the hour. So if you're hearing this, you're thinking, man, I've wasted so much time. Listen, yesterday's over. God's given you grace for that. If you're in Christ and you have today and you have tonight and you have tomorrow, chart a new course with the Lord. But we need to make good with the time that God has given us. This judgment was harsh, but it was just. Nadab and Abihu were deserving of this. And it's interesting, and I think it's important that we realize this, that God doesn't take all this time to give us all this information in his word for us to neglect it. I think that's a huge lesson. I mean, we've literally gone through like 25 chapters of details, haven't we? on Wednesday nights about all this. And right as it all gets going, these guys go off on a rabbit trail on their own. So I'm here to tell you, the safest and best way to live is really close to the book. When God's word says, this is what I want, say, Lord, I'm gonna honor this, I'm gonna obey this and bring my heart around. God didn't go through all the trouble, not only of inspiring human authors to write it, but having it being preserved. You know, you got to remember that for the first 250 years or 275 years of Christianity, they were persecuted. Like being found with a copy of the letter to the Ephesians carried the death penalty with it. Do you realize that? Like a Wycliffe, who was one of the first translators of the Bible into the common tongue, he died for doing that. So sometimes we think, oh, well, yeah, it's just the Bible. No, it's God preserved his word for us. And we don't want to neglect that. Nadab and Abihu, they knew what God wanted, but in the moment they got excited or they were drunk or whatever else was going on and they chose to deviate from what God wants. And I'm here to tell you that in every slight degree of deviation from God's word that we live, we are held accountable before God. And that's why we're under that death sentence. So when God says, love me with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself, in the ways that we don't do that, we are held to account for that. So, brothers and sisters, let's stay close to the book. I would much rather, when I get to heaven, God says, look, you took my word a little bit too stringently. I mean, either way, we're getting in by grace, right? So no one's getting in by works. But I want God to say, you know, you, you are a little bit too hypersensitive about that. That's a good thing. Because our lives should be lived intentionally. And God has given us the instructions. He didn't just leave it up to his general revelation in nature where I'm supposed to look at a tree and say, okay, I wonder what God wants me to do with my spouse as I look at this oak tree. Right? No, he's given me Genesis 1 and 2 to show his intention in marriage and, 
And then he's given me all these different biblical marriages. And then, and, and then he's given me Proverbs 31 about what a godly wife is. And then you have Ephesians 5, and you have 1 Peter chapter 3, and you have Matthew chapter 19. You have all these places where God says, this is what I want. This is how I want it. This is what I want you to do. And you go and you say, okay, Lord, what does this look like? How do I do this? He's given a specific revelation. And God gave the priests a lot of specific revelation in Nadab and Abihu, right as it starts, takes a left turn. And it's with dire consequence. I mean, look at what Moses says to Aaron in verse 3. This is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified. See, Moses realizes that at the heart of what Nadab and Abihu did, it was a lack of an awareness of the holiness of God. And if there's anything that we need today in the 21st century, I believe it's a recovery of God's holiness because God is holy and we are not. And because God is holy and we are not, for us to say God is holy, we don't even quite know what that means. And we're so used to, as Nietzsche said, God created us in his image and we've been returning the favor ever since. We want to create an unholy God, a, a God like us so that we can identify. But what's amazing is, is God said, you're never going to be able to get this, so I'm going to come as a man. That's what Christmas is all about. It's God saying, I'm going to bring my perfections and my holiness and my glory. And I'm going to put skin on it and he's going to grow up in, in Nazareth 2,000 years ago, he's going to walk around, he's going to teach, he's going to do all these things, and he's going to die in your place. So when you say, what does a holy life look like? Read the Gospels. Look at the life of Jesus. This is what God's holiness in human form looks like. We need a recovery of the holiness of God. And, and listen, when God is not regarded as holy then we do not live in such a way that glorifies God before people. And brothers, sisters, listen, this is important. The Christian church has not done a great job of representing God in the world. We haven't done a great job of it. I remember before I got saying, like, oh, what about the Inquisitions? And You know, you, you run out the, all the lists historically of the things that the church has done that hasn't represented God. Holy wars of all sorts. And it's really easy to, to cast dispersions on the history of the Christian church because we haven't gotten everything right. But we can't go back and relive what happened 200 years ago or, or 1,500 years ago, but we are responsible for this generation. And we need to live out our lives inspired by the Holy Spirit, saying, God, I want your holiness to be displayed for my life so that people will be see your glory in our lives. And brothers and sisters, that's a tall order, isn't it? We can't just be content with biblical information. We need that information to be integrated into our lives so that we live it out before people in such a way that they see God is holy. Jesus is If you're like me, you forget things all the time. Well, here's Pastor Daniel with something that will help you remember. 
Hey everyone, Pastor Daniel here. I don't know about you, but life is busy and it's so easy to forget things. Now, thankfully, I have a couple of wonderful ladies in my life that join me in helping to accomplish all that God has called me to. Of course, I think of my beautiful bride, Lynn. She keeps me on track in so many ways. And then of course, there's my ministry assistant, Margaret, here at Crossroads. She helps me to make sure that my schedule in the ministry is running smoothly. Now, I love how God uses these ladies and so many other people to help remind me of what's important. One of the easiest things to forget isn't daily things like the schedule. It's actually the most important thing. It's the fact that God is real and he is in heaven and he is with me all the time, wherever I go. It may sound silly, but I started wearing a bracelet that says real on it. This bracelet is a constant reminder to me that Jesus is real and that God's grace is real and his mercy and his love has been poured out into my life. And I wanna make this bracelet available to you as well. Here's Josh with some information about how you can get your very own real bracelet. Thanks, Pastor Daniel. To receive your very own real bracelet, check out JesusIsRealRadio.com and click on Partner. These handcrafted leather bracelets are available to anyone who supports Jesus Is Real Radio through the month of January with a gift of $20 or more. Again, to receive your very own real bracelet, log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and click on Partner. Again, that's JesusIsRealRadio.com. Please join us again for another edition of Jesus Is Real Radio.